Well, welcome, welcome. Uh, if I don't look familiar to you, uh, that's because I am not our lead pastor. Um, and I know that you're sitting there thinking, well, you, Ben, you look wise and distinguished, so that's a surprise to me. Um, but we are missing our pastor, Don, this morning. I just want to give you guys an update on where he is and why he can't be with us this morning. Uh, earlier this week, PD started to experience some back pain, um, and PD has thrown his back out or something grabs in his back. It's happened uh, a few times over the last two years or so, um, but this week it was especially painful, um, and hopefully PD's not watching me because I'm going to be talking about him here for a second. Um, PD, during one of our meetings this week, uh, of course, PD is who PD is. Raise your hand if you know PD. All right, PD doesn't have an off switch. So during the week this week, um, we were in a meeting and it hurt so bad for him to sit down or to kneel or to lay down that the only comfortable position was leaning on a table like this during our meeting. Um, So he was leaning on the table, uh, talking to us, trying to get through this meeting, um, but he has been in some excruciating pain. So earlier this week, he went to the urgent care. Uh, He went back to the urgent care for a second time. He's been to the ER twice. Um, and now he's actually at, um, in the hospital uh, for back pain management. Um, as of this morning, I do have an update for you guys. That is simply, um, for our great family at Oakwood, thank you for praying. Don received great care at the hospital and is on the way to healing. He posted on Facebook this morning as well uh, that he's finally been able to sleep. Uh, this week he's hardly slept a wink, um, but he's actually finally starting to feel some pain relief. So PD is not able to be here this morning, but that means I get to be. Um, Would you guys mind if we just start this morning with praying for PD? Is that okay? All right, let's pray together. Father, we lift up our our pastor to you this morning. Um, We are just, uh, we hurt when our pastor hurts, and we want uh, we want him to feel better. We want him to be healed, and Father, we lift that as a prayer up to you this morning. Uh, We pray specifically for Julie as she takes care of Petey, that she would have patience uh, and the endurance necessary to love on him while he's struggling and hurting. Uh, Father, we also just pray that you would give Petey um, the humility to be a good patient uh, and to listen to those who want him to uh, be uh, healed and um, to take some time to just rest and um, rest from being a great servant, Father, because we know how much he loves to serve you. Father, we just lift up and we ask for supernatural healing in this case, in this instance. We ask that you would give that to PD, um, and ultimately you would give those caring for him the wisdom uh, and the knowledge necessary to do that. So Father, we lift that up to you in prayer this morning. It's in your son's name that we request. Amen. Well, my friends, uh, on Friday, uh, I finally got a call from PD, and he said, you know, this back is not getting any better, so I think you're going to be preaching on Sunday. Um, and at that point, I was like, awesome, I would love to do it. Uh, I started thinking through what I should share with uh, the church, and I was thinking, and I was like, you know, I don't really know what to share. You know, I thought about it, I was praying about it, nothing really came to mind, so I said, you know, maybe I'll just you know, what are, what, what are the problems that my church has? And that list was way too long. So um, <laughs> what, what I decided to do this morning is I'm going to bring you into one of the series that our youth ministry is doing. Is that okay? Now, here's the deal. It's going to require a little bit of pointing and talking to one another this morning, so you're going to have to be a little bit vocal. Is that Okay. Okay, some of us are on board, Um, but it's going to be fun, I promise. Uh, It's going to be like you're at youth group with us. It's going to be a lot of fun, Um, but we as a youth group have been uh, doing a series on identity. Any of our youth in here brave enough to tell us what it's been called the last few weeks? 
Who, who am I? Yes, thank you, person in the back. Uh, we have been in a series called Who Am I? And the question that we as a youth ministry have been wrestling with is all based around our identity. And I believe that this is one of the great struggles, the great things that this new generation coming up is wrestling with. They're wrestling with the idea of what is my identity. So for us as a youth group, we've been wrestling with this question, who am I? How would I define myself? How does the world perceive me? Who am I? This is the series that we've been going through, and I want to include you guys in this series this morning. And I'm going to be sharing with you some of the truths that we've been going through, but before we get there, I just want to, I want to stop and pause because this word identity has a very um, a, a loaded context now, meaning that uh, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And when we think of our own identity, the world has given us a lot of different answers for that question. The question that can be as simple as, who am I, the world has given us a ton of different answers for. And I want us just to think through some of those this morning, so hopefully you might resonate with one or two of them. If I were to ask you who you are, many of us would identify ourselves, we would answer the question, who am I with our vocation? Right? So, hi, my name's uh, Ben, and I'm a pastor. Hi, uh, my name is Joe, and I'm a teacher. Hi, I'm Susie, and I'm an engineer. Hi, I'm a doctor. Many of us, to answer the question, who am I, we would just simply resonate with our vocation. Hey, I'm Lori, and I'm a stay-at-home mom. Hey, hey, I'm John, and I'm a carpenter. I am my vocation. The world has told us that we are our vocation. So for some of us, our identity is just wrapped up in what we do what we spend nine to five doing. For some of us, our identity, if we're asked the question who we are, is tied up in our political affiliations. Our political affiliations. It's the thing that everyone loves to talk about at church, right? Our political affiliations. If I asked who you are, you might say, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, I'm a Libertarian, I'm a Piscopalian, I don't know. You have... You have these political affiliations, and if we're talking about identity, one of the first things that come to your your mind might be, hey, I'm Susie, and I'm blank. And the world has given us this answer that if we want to know our identity, we should just align ourselves with a political figure, and and that that can be our answer. Our, Our society tells us that our identity is wrapped up in who or what our marital status is. For some of us, that might be married. For some of us, that might be single. For some of us, uh, that might be the old Facebook thing that, like, it's complicated. Like, I don't know. For some of us, you know, maybe our identity is that we are a widow. Maybe our identity is that we are a divorcee. A lot of times in our culture, in our world, to answer that question, they just want to simply say, you are your marital status. Our culture around us also uses our wealth and our privilege or our lack of wealth and privilege to help identify us. The world has given us all kinds of ways to help us try to answer this question, who am I? Is it just my sexual preferences? Is it just who I find attractive? Is it just what I do from nine to five? Is it my marital status? Is it my wealth? Is it my privilege? Is it my lack of wealth or privilege? Is it my political affiliations? What is my identity? Who 
am I? So we as a youth group have been wrestling with this question, who are we? But instead of looking to the culture around us to answer that question, instead of using uh, the standards in Oxford, Michigan, or Lapeer, Michigan, or Ortonville, Michigan, or Goodrich, Michigan, wherever we're from this morning, what, instead of using our culture standard for our identity, we have been using the Bible to try to lay a foundation for our students of how we as humans, we as Christians, we as people can understand and start to answer this question, who am I? What am I supposed to find my identity in? And again, in this series, we've been uh, exploring that question. I'm going to share some truths with you this morning about uh, what we, we have found for the answer for that question. But I believe if we're going to start this conversation, we have to start by looking at the question, who am I, through the lens of the one that created us. By answering the question, who am I, based on how God would answer that question for us. If you have a Bible this morning, we're going to be jumping around through scriptures a little bit. Feel free to try to keep up, um, but we're also going to have the the passages on the screens for you this morning. Uh, We're going to be starting in the book of Genesis, so if you're wanting to get there now, feel free to flip there now. Um, But the first truth that we've looked at as a youth group, and what I want to bring you into as well, is that you are a creature. Now, this is the fun part, all right? Point at someone next to you and say, you are a creature. All right. Point at the person on the other side of you, you probably don't know this person, and say, you are a creature. It's okay to laugh a little bit in church. We're okay. We're okay. When we first think of the word creature, oftentimes like Lord of the Rings comes to mind, right? And there's like that Gollum character that's like running around on all fours. Or maybe we think of Harry Potter, there's like these little elf things. And when we think of creature, we think of some sort of like hybrid elf animal thing. I'm not telling you to call your mom and dad like a hybrid elf animal kind of thing. Creature simply means that you have been created. You have been created. So look at the person next to you and say, you are a creature. Point at yourself and say, I am a creature. Creature simply means that you have been created. You have been created. And the logical conclusion, if we are creatures, then there must be someone or something that is a creator. And the Bible in the book of Genesis tells us that God is that creator. We're going to be opening up to Genesis 1. Uh, starting in verse 26. It says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own, own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, all the trees and the fruit and the seeds in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts on the earth, all the birds in the sky, all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was good. 
and there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Now, I think it's interesting that God understands us as humans, and he realizes that we are having somewhat of an identity crisis, and he's going to answer the question, who are we, on the first page of the Bible. Isn't that awesome? I think it's awesome. And I think the book of Genesis, especially in this first chapter, gives us a really clear answer to who we are. So we're going to run through this first truth. We are creatures, and I want to use the book of Genesis to help us understand some of the finer points of that. Firstly, humanity was declared as good. Humanity was declared as good. Look at the person next to you and say, you are good. We're going to talk about how that's not true in just a little bit, but that's okay for now. God looked at humanity and said, you are good because I have created you to be good. God gave us a blueprint about how we were supposed to live our life, and God declared, you are good. Humanity was made in God's image. I'm not going to have you guys say, you are God, because that's sacrilegious, so we're going to stay away from that. But humanity was made in God's image. Uh, in Bible college, I went what feels like forever ago, but was only like five-ish years ago. Uh, we would sit around in our classes, and we would kind of stroke our beards, even though I didn't have a beard back then, and I kind of don't have a beard now. But we would sit in our class, and we'd be like, what does it mean to be made in God's image? Well, maybe it means that uh, we kind of physically look like God, and you guys are looking at me, and you're saying, oh boy, I hope not. Um, but maybe it means that humans physically kind of look like God, or maybe we're made like God in the sense that we are creators, and we can create uh, culture and art and music and buildings and streets and cities. We can talk for hours about what it actually means to be made in God's image, what, what we can sit around in classrooms and uh, theoretical philosophize about what that actually means. But the, the truth is that if we are made in God's image, he has given us value. So point at someone next to you and say, you are valuable. Welcome to youth group, guys. We're doing this this morning. You are valuable. God has given us indwelt value because we are made in his image. Every single human that has ever lived was made in the image of God, and therefore they are valuable. I think the next thing that uh, God, the book of Genesis tells us is that it's clear that he made us male and female. Parents, I'm going to let you guys explain that one. Humanity was also given a purpose. We're told that we're supposed to rule over the animals. We're told that we're supposed to uh, garden. We're supposed to actually take care of God's creation. So if we're answering the question, who are we as humanity? God intended us to have a purpose. To rule over the earth, to care for his creation. Look at the person next to you and say, you have a purpose. Guys, we're just getting started. We need to be much louder. Say it again. You have a purpose. Thank you. Humanity was charged with taking care of God's garden and his creatures, and we were entrusted to take care of his creation. Ultimately, God is answering for us this question, who am I? In the first pages of the Bible, we were declared good. We were given value in God's image. We were created male and female. We were given a purpose and a job to do. God is giving us the, question, the answer to the question, who are we? All right, this is the fun part and also the dangerous part. So here's truth number two. 
you are a sinner. Now, here's what I need. Very carefully, point at someone next to you and say, you are a sinner. All right, kids, don't say it to your parents, but I probably should have given that as a precursor warning. Point to yourself and say, I am a sinner. In the first pages of the Bible, God gives us the answer to who we as humanity are, what our identity is, and where we should place our uh, identity is in a relationship with him as creator and us as creature. But very quickly in Genesis 3, there's something called the fall. Say the fall. And it's where sin was introduced into the world. Humanity looked at God's plan for our life and we said, we don't want to do that plan anymore. We want to do our, our own thing. We turned our back on God and that is called sin. It's called the fall of humanity. And ultimately, sin has entered the world and it's impacted every single person that's ever lived since Adam and Eve. So we can rightly point at ourselves and say, I am a sinner. Everybody point at Pastor Ben. Say, you are a sinner. That one's not as fun, but okay. (laughs) We are sinners. Paul is famous for saying, I I am the chief of sinners. I I am the worst of all sinners. And I know some of you, so I'm not going to make the same claim this morning. But we're going to turn to the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 23, and it says this. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all were justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. The Bible makes it very clear in many different places that if you were ever born, raise your hand if you were ever born, you are a sinner. In the time that this was written, it was really controversial because there were Jews and there were Gentiles and there was arguments about, well, the, the Gentiles are sinners, but we are, we're holy Jews. And it's, this passage is saying, if you have ever been born, you are a sinner. Jew, Gentile, the whole world can honestly look at ourselves and say, we are sinners. Sin has impacted all of humanity. Sin has even impacted the earth. The the Bible speaks of all of creation groaning because of the impacts of sin. But sin impacts every person and every part of humanity. So if we're going to answer this question, who am I? If we're going to wrestle with what the Bible says about our identity, we have to take on a new title, and that is just simply sinner. Sinner. I know that probably evokes some image of your grandma, right? Where she's like, so-and-so's a sinner. And uh, We need to destigmatize this word because ultimately all it means is that we have sin in our life. We have sin in our life. And therefore, we are sinners. 
And ultimately, the punishment for sin in the Bible, we're told, is death. There's the physical death that we experience here on earth, but there's also the spiritual death that goes on into eternity. So if our new identity is sinner, someone has to pay the price for that identity. Someone has to die that physical death, and someone has to die that spiritual death if we are going to pay the price that sin brings along with it. We are sinners. All right, point at someone again and say, you are a sinner. We're getting quiet again, folks. For me as a pastor, this is the, the least fun part. But the next truth that we've talked about as a youth group is the more fun part for me. Point at someone and say, you are loved. Point at yourself and say, I am loved. if we're going to wrestle with this question of who we are and we're going to look at it through the lens of God, the one who created us, we have to understand that each of us are loved. Each of us are loved. God loves each and every one of us. Every person that has ever been born in all of humanity has been loved by God. We're going to be turning to one of the more, most famous passages in the Bible in the book of John today. Starting in verse 14, it says this. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world, says loved, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This, then, is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light. Because their deeds were evil, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not Come into the light, for the fear of their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. God so loved the world. Um, I told you earlier that me and my wife are expecting our first child uh, on April 14th. It is going to be a beautiful baby boy. Uh, We are so thankful and excited about that. Um, But I struggle to comprehend this idea. Uh, if, If one of you came to me and said, Ben, We are so excited that you're having a baby. We've been waiting for a baby boy to come along. Uh, We need him to pay for my sin. Oh boy. I'm going to say some things to you that probably aren't super pastoral. Um, I haven't even met my son in person yet, and, and my love for my son goes beyond what I can even imagine in the words that I can describe it with. But the truth about who you are this morning, your identity, is that God loved you so much that he would give his only son to pay for your sin and to pay for my sin. And that's a love that I struggle to comprehend. Not only did God give up his son 
But his son who lived a perfect life, who did everything right, who, who didn't turn his back on God. On God. So if we're going to wrestle through the identity of who you are, you have to understand that you are loved. Point at yourself and say, I am loved. Despite the sin in each of us, God still loves us. So if this is our identity, we are a creature who was created by God, We are a sinner because there is sin in our life and has impacted us greatly. But we are also loved by God so deeply. What does that mean for our life? How how are we supposed to live differently? And I want to get into that a little bit this morning. Firstly, if we understand that we are creatures, if we fully understand that, we fully embrace it, This is what it means. We are willing to submit ourselves and define ourselves not by our own standards, but by God's standards. If we are truly willing to admit that we are a creation and we are created by a God and we fully embrace that, it means that we need to be willing to embrace and submit and to define ourselves not by our own standards, but by what God says that we are. So my question for you this morning is, do you believe that you're a creation? And if so, have you submitted yourself to your identity? Not the identity that the world tells you that you are. Not the, world, the identity that you've given yourself based on uh, your current life situation or your current life circumstances. Have you fully submitted to God in a way that says, I am creature, you are creator, you are the king of the universe, and I am what you say I am. Because that's the first step. We look at the world around us and they are grasping at straws, trying to figure out who they are. I believe this is going to be the defining question that defines the generation that is growing up underneath us. Who am I? What is my identity? Are we willing to submit to what God declares our identity to be? Secondly, we must recognize our title as sinner. This one's not super easy, or maybe it is. But if we recognize that our title, our identity is as a sinner, we must also recognize that we need to repent. It's another fun grammar word, right? Repent, sinner, right? <laughs> we, if we recognize that we are a sinner, we have to repent. That is the next only logical thing to do. If we fully embrace the identity of I am a sinner, repentance has to be tied with that. Submit yourself, if you like church words, to further sanctification. In the Bible, the image is used of a vine, and we're told that uh, God prunes us as branches of that vine. Sanctification just means that you're going to look more and more like Jesus the longer that you live uh, in a life in a relationship with Jesus. 
And if we're fully going to submit ourselves to the, the identity of sinner, we have to also submit ourselves to the idea of pruning. What does that mean? Well, it means you should shave your beard, right? Because you're pruning. No. What it means is that we need to be open and willing for other Christians in our life to say, hey, uh, I see that you're really angry. And I want to just talk about what, what that is and why, why that is. And let's just talk about what God's plan is for you and uh, maybe we can start to prune away some of that anger. What that means is that if you have sexual sin in your life, uh, it, you need to be willing for another Christian to come along and say, hey, I see you're doing this and that's not God's plan for your life and here's why. This is what the Bible says. If we actually truly embrace the identity of sinner, it also means that we need to be embracing repentance and embracing pruning in our life. And then lastly, this one's hard for a lot of us. We actually have to accept God's new identity for us as loved. And what does that look like practically? It means that instead of letting shame and guilt rule your life, you allow yourself to actually say the words, I am loved. Making you say this is a fun activity, but it also reinforces the truth inside of you. So when you go home today, I, I hope that you walk up to each other and say, hey, you're a creature, right? Make little fangs at each other. Urgh. You are a creature because that is a truth. You were created. I hope that you walk up to people that you know well and say, you are a sinner, right? And if you want to use your best grandma impersonation, go for it people you know well. But when you're at home, I hope that you don't miss the point that you walk up to one another and say, hey, you are loved. And if you accept that, if you truly understand that, if you truly embrace that as your identity, it'll change the way that you live. It'll change the way you see other human beings. It'll change the way that your perspective shifts on world events and things that are happening around us. I'm going to invite the band up to close us in just a moment. But we are given the option now, instead of being labeled as a sinner, to choose the label of saved. It doesn't mean that we don't have sin in our life. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect on this side of heaven. But what it means is that we no longer have to be just sinner. Each of you are, are, are loved by God, and I can tell you to point at each other and say, yes, you are loved, but I can't tell you to point at each other and say that you are saved. Because that's a personal choice, a personal thing that each and every one of you have to submit your life to God and submit your life to Christ and actually make that step forward and proclaim that he is my Lord and Savior and actually uh, live that out. But your identity changes when you accept who Jesus is and what he did on the cross for each of you. And church, I want this to be an encouragement um, and a challenge but I believe this next generation is going to continue to ask the question, who am I? And ultimately, I believe that we as the capital C Christian global church have failed to help that generation answer that question. 
and ultimately they are looking to the world for standards about how they are to define themselves. Are they defined by their vocation? Are they defined by who they find attractive? Are they defined by uh, what their brain is telling them uh, on any given day? Are they defined by what the world gives them as standards or are they defined by what God gives them as standards? And ultimately, I feel like the church, the capital C church, has failed in a lot of ways of telling these children, telling these youth that they are a creation of God, that they have sin in their life, and ultimately they are loved by God. Emphasis on the last point. They are loved by God. And ultimately, if we love others well, if we choose to love others well, it will give us the ability to speak truth into their life. If we love this next generation well, if we tell them how much God loves them and the fact that they're a creature and that God created them with a purpose and a vision and a plan for their life and tell them that God loves them so much, it'll give us the opportunity to help them with the sin problem. And unfortunately, I think sometimes the church, the capital C Global Church, focuses in on the sin. They say, ha, these people are bad. These people find their identity in the wrong things. But we often fail to give them the love. What are the two greatest commandments? Love God and love others. Love God and love others. And if we're truly living into what God says we are, if we're truly answering the question, who am I and what is my identity? I am a creature I am a sinner, but I am loved. And if I love God, then as a natural outpouring of that, I'm going to love others. And my friends, I want this church, but the Global Seed Church as well, to lead this next generation in finding their identity. To answer the question, who am I? And ultimately, it's up to each and every one of us who considers ourselves Christians to help move that along. And I would challenge you to start with love. Start with love. Love God, love others. Who am I? It's the question that our youth group has been wrestling with. It's the question that I hope that you wrestle with over the next week. But I would encourage you guys not to let the world define you because that'll change literally day to day. Don't let uh, your political affiliation define you. Don't let uh, what you do for a vocation define you. Don't let uh, who you find attractive define you. Allow God, the one who created you, to define you. Allow the one that loved you so much that he was willing to give his son for our sins to define who you are. And that's my prayer for this next generation. Let's pray and then we'll uh, worship together. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning just uh, thankful. (laughs) Thankful that you loved us to the point where you would send your son to die on a cross. You would uh, send him to come and pay for each of our sins, Father. I can't even comprehend that level of love. So, Father, thank you for that. This morning as we wrestle with this question, who am I? Who are we? Thank you for helping us understand uh, what it meant to be a human when you created us and uh, the fact that sin has entered the picture so our identity has changed, but you still love us. 
Father, help us to create an environment where this next generation can ask the question, who am I, in a safe space where we can answer that question from a biblical perspective. We can give them what you say they are. And Lord, help these kids to feel your love. Help them to understand that even as they wrestle through these questions, who am I, you still love them. And Father, help us to love them too. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.